everybody. Welcome to the export. I'm Reverend X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who, basketball wise, I know we're gonna get to it a bit later. Uh, with regards to the Damian Lillard trade, he's heading to Milwaukee Bucks, a team that neither of us really expected to come out of the woodworks. But I got to ask, I know you mentioned earlier off the air that you think that Dame and Giannis are the best duo in the Eastern Conference. Where do you think they stack up with the rest of the NBA? Uh, I would say, honestly, I might say top two. Because the only duo in my mind that I probably will put above Dame and Giannis is a healthy Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. I don't even, no disrespect to Nikola Jokic, I mean not Nikola Jokic, but Jamal Murray, but at his best, do you, is it because you think at his best he's better than Dame or just that, okay, you just think that the gap between, you know, Giannis and Nikola Jokic is big enough to where it makes a difference? It's not even that. I I think it's more so, like, we've seen that when they're both healthy and at their best, they just have a different level of, like, continuity than most duos. Like, typically when you see duos, you see kind of like this, your turn, my turn. Mm -hmm. I think from a standpoint of, like, they play really well off of each other. They feed off each other really well. And I think that's something that you you kind of get, you get it in a similar sense at times with AD and LeBron. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think from the standpoint of, like, having two star-level players that play well together, I think they're the best star-level duo that play well together. From that retrospect, that makes a lot of sense. And, I mean, it's hard to argue that because we haven't seen Dane and uh, Giannis play together yet. But I is going to be quite interesting when they do. Uh, of course, we're going to get more into that trade when we get to the NBA portion to the sh- of the show. But before that, uh, we're going to discuss the NFL recap week three. And we're going to talk whether or not the Jets are doing themselves a disservice keeping um, Zach Wilson as their starting quarterback. Again, continue to talk more about the Damian Lillard to Milwaukee Bucks trade and also how it affects the Phoenix Suns, who were the third team in that deal. And then just kind of wrap things up with whether or not we believe that the NBA is a watered-down version of what it once was. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled the X report. So we're going to kick this show off like we do every other one during the football season with our college football player spotlight. And this week we're going to show some love to an offensive lineman, more specifically Notre Dame offensive tackle, Joe Alt. I mean, you can never have enough pass protection. And let's be honest, left tackle is arguably the most important position on the offensive line. So what team do you think that Joe all could provide a boost to assuming that he continues with the high level of play that he's had so far? The Tennessee Titans, cause Oh my Lord, they need as much help on the O-line as possible. Uh, it, and it's hard because I'm saying this from a fan standpoint of being a fan of the team. And I'm also just saying it from a standpoint of being a guy that saw them literally only get nine yards of total, 94 yards of total offense this past um, Sunday versus the Cleveland Browns. And I know that 
people think that like the Titans have other needs to address in my like one of them being quarterback, but in my opinion, their biggest need still is offensive line. Yeah, I'm not even a fan, but I watched Andre Dillard attempt to block Miles Garrett, and it didn't work. I mean, Andre Dillard, former first-round pick, never really got it going with the Philadelphia Eagles, and so I I don't know what your thought process was when you heard that he was signing there, but I was like, this might be a good move for him, might be a nice fresh start. Yeah, nah, he's uh he's not ready. And so, yeah, I could see Joe All being a good uh fit there. Um, I'm going to stick in the AFC, but I'm going to say the Denver Broncos. I think that their offensive line has continuously been an issue. They spent a lot of money bringing in uh, right tackle Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers. He's been fine. But Garrett Bowles, just between inconsistent play and injuries overall, it's been hard for him to really get going. And so because of that, I think that they could look to replace him and save a lot of money. So that's where I would go. But, all right, let's go ahead and take a look back at week three. Starting off Thursday night football, San Francisco 49ers defeat the New York Giants 30-12. to Lions uh, beat the Falcons 20-6. to Miami Dolphins put up the most points in a single NFL game since 1966, dropping 70 on the Broncos' head, a uh, 70-20 win. The Colts get a historic day from kicker Matt Gay, uh, connected on four 50-plus yard field goals to down Baltimore, 22-19 in overtime. Uh, Chargers beat the Vikings, 28-24. Bills destroy Commanders, 37-3. Packers have a big second-half comeback to beat the Saints, 18-17. Cleveland Browns, like you mentioned, beat your Titans, 27-3. Houston Texans get a big upset win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, 37-17. Uh, Patriots beat Jets 15-10. Uh, Seahawks win an offensive battle with the Panthers 37-27. Cardinals upset the Cowboys 28-16. Chiefs blow out the Bears 41-10. Steelers win a close win against the Raiders 23-18. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles beat the Bucks 25-11 Monday Night Football. And then the Bengals, I don't even know if I call it revenge, but it was a Super Bowl rematch. They beat the Rams 19-16. Um, after the week, I went 10-5. and five. Ethan went 8-7 and seven, uh, with his predictions. Now, moving on to injuries. This week is much more tame than it was last week, but still some tough blows. Uh, the Chargers are losing wide receiver Mike Williams for the season after he suffered a torn ACL. And then Saints quarterback Derek Carr is listed day day I'm sorry not day day week to week after suffering a shoulder injury his status is up in the air for this week's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers but all right let's go ahead and move on to takeaways Ethan you can kick us off um takeaway number five um is did Devontae is Devontae Devontae Adams started to regret the decision to leave Green Bay um I know that he left Green Bay with the hopes of being able to play um, with his best friend in college, Derek Carr. At the time, it looked like it was a nice pairing, but it's the season before this one, it didn't really. He had a great season, but it didn't equate to any team success. And now Derek Carr is in New Orleans, and you look up and you see Devonta Adams. He's still having a really good season so far, but it's not equating to team success. And now you look at Green Bay, the team that he left, and Jordan Love is looking like, at least for the time being, 
he's kind of just like a seamless transition fit. I know a lot of time, a lot of people, including myself, had questions of like, what is he going to look like now that he's going to be the full time starter outside of the shadow of Aaron Rodgers? And he's looking good. And so, what would he look like? What would that offense look like if Devontae would have stayed in Green Bay? I don't know if he misses Green Bay necessarily, but I do think he might be regretting going to Vegas just with everything that's turned, how things have turned out. Uh, my number five is also has some mentions a uh, NFC North team. And I said maybe the Bears made a mistake not keeping that first overall pick. For those of you who don't remember, 2023 draft, they had the worst record in the league. They had the first overall pick, ended up trading back with the Carolina Panthers. Panthers take Bryce Young. Uh, Bears end up taking Darnell Wright, offensive tackle, uh, with that 10th overall pick, traded back with Philly, whole thing. But, I mean, it's just Justin Fields is not looking like he's the guy. And he's not the only issue in Chicago. Their defense is terrible. Coaching is suspect. Their offense is predictable. Their receivers can't get separation. It's a lot of issues going on. And while I don't think a rookie quarterback would come in and change everything, but it's just looking more and more like Justin Fields just may not be the guy that everybody thought he was going to be and, like, be the franchise quarterback that they really need to turn things around in the Windy City. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I was, I think I was kind of big on Justin Fields when he was coming in, um, thinking that he might be the guy. But he just looks really, really bad, and it looks like a bad combination of Bad quarterback play and bad coaching, which, I mean, equates to what they're having now. My number four is, um, and this is also another more of a personal take, and it kind of stems from, I hate to say it, my father-in-law, who also is a Titans fan. Mike Variable should not be fired. Um, I know that they look really, really bad against Cleveland. The offense hasn't looked that great. But Mike Variable is not the reason. Um, I think some of it has to do with the time that we're in in the NFL where more head coaches are more offensive-centric head coaches, so they're able to, like, be uh, um, be more explosive on the offensive end. But Mike Variable is a, a good coach, and he doesn't deserve to be fired. I think... He's been put in a rough situation these past couple of seasons where he's had bad online play and he's had a like literally two seasons prior to this, they set the rec NFL record for most players to play on a team in the NFL season. And he still was able to produce almost a playoff first the past season and if I'm not mistaken was the number one seed in the AFC the season prior. Mm-hmm. So yeah, people need to hop off that he needs to be fired bandwagon. Yeah, no, like, don't get me wrong. The Titans absolutely have their problems, but if I'm listing them off, Mike Vrabel wouldn't be one of them. I just think that it really just comes down to neglecting the offense and relying so much on Derrick Henry and that defense to where they haven't really done enough around them to, like, get better. But, no, I don't think it's Mike Vrabel's fault. I mean, considering how much success that they've had, and with the team that they've had, which I think everybody would agree, compared to some of the other teams in the league, is not as talented, but still puts forth those wins and are always competitive, 
I think that's a testament to just how good of a coach uh, Mike Vrabel is. So it'd be insane if they fired him. Um, my number four is even with the investments this offseason, the Jets' offense may be worse than it was last season. And that's saying something because their offense was essentially a non-factor. But this year, I mean, Zach Wilson is still Zach Wilson. He doesn't look any better. The offensive line is freaking terrible. And even the run game, like we talked about it last week to where their offense wasn't good enough to abandon the run. Well, even when they didn't abandon a run, it was rough. Uh, Dalvin Cook had, Cook had eight touches for 18 yards, averaging 2.3 a carry. Brees Hall had 12 carries for 18 yards, averaging one and a half yards per carry. And so not to take anything away from the Patriots defense because they're another team whose offense is kind of suspected, but their defense is going to be right. But the Jets just look so bad. And it's it's getting to the point where it's actually becoming a bit demoralizing watching them. And I feel for their defense because they have to be on the field so much because they're always playing from behind and the offense can't sustain drives. Yeah, uh, my number three also is the New York Jets. Like, in my opinion, if you're Robert Salah, in order to salvage that locker room, you're going to have to move on from Zach Wilson. Like, you can't keep getting up here in front of at every press conference whenever there's questions around quarterback play and say Zach Wilson is the best is the best option for us to continue to win games. Because you haven't won games since outside of the game, um, the first game of the season when he came in after A-Rod got hurt. Like, you haven't won a game since. And, and even uh, that was on, like, if Zach Wilson had nothing to do with that win. Yeah, 100%. So, like, he isn't your best option to win. Like, I know that there are other, um, there are other factors that are hindering the Jets from winning games. Like you stated, the run game isn't hasn't been productive. The O-line isn't productive. But I also think a lot of it comes from, like, they feel so bogged down by who's that quarterback. Like, let's just throw the hypothetical that everyone's throwing out there. Let's say the Jets trade for Kirk Cousins and you get him for the rest of this season um, because you know he's going to be a free agent at the end of this season. What does that team look like with the guy that we know that is a capable starting quarterback and you pair him up with a Gary Wilson? And you pair him up with a Allen Lazard and those weapons. And you pair him up with that dual-headed monster running back. What, what does the morale of the team look like then versus now? I, I, I just think they got to get, they got to get away from Zach Wilson, um, to salvage their season. Yeah, I think that they would be a much better team if not possible wild card team. Um. Moving on to another AFC team, my uh, number three takeaway is the Chargers cannot sustain with their offense being so one-dimensional. Yes, they beat the Vikings in a game where defense did not exist, a.k.a. has been the story for both of those teams. But they had 445 passing yards compared to just 30 rushing yards. I know I talked about how impactful Aaron Jones is for this Packers offense, but Austin Eckler's the same thing. Yes, Justin Herbert is a good quarterback, and he's got weapons out the wazoo and Keenan Allen, Mike Williams before he got hurt, Quentin Johnson. They used the first-round pick for him on him for a reason. But 
the fact that you're you can't even rush for 50 yards and you're not really trying to is going to be a problem and I think that plays a big role in the fact why they are one and two right now and why nobody's really talking about them about making a really deep playoff run just because that one-dimensional offense and throwing the ball 50-plus times, it's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's very, if you think about it, it's very reminiscent of the uh, the Bills a couple years ago where, like, Josh Allen was putting up crazy numbers and they were, they had success. But once you got to the playoffs, it they they got bounced. Um, and the sad thing about it is the Chargers, they have a really – dynamic running back and I think in some ways this is going to benefit him in his contract negotiations I don't know if he's going to get the reset the market level contract that he might be expecting but I think now it's like oh we, we, we're going to have to give Austin Eckler his money because like he's a key point and key focal point of our team yeah 100% um, my number two is. Oh, I think this number three. Number three. Oh no bad. no no! My bad. This is your two. My bad. This is your two. Yeah, my number two is Sean Payton. When you uh, when you open your mouth and say things, sometimes you gotta pay the Pied Piper. Um, in the off season, he said that last year's Broncos team was the worst that he's ever seen a team coach. And going into this season so far, they're 0-3, and they just lost 70-20. to 20. So, and again, and I know, I think me and you are going to talk about it later. I don't put it on the offense at all. I, well, to a degree, I don't put it on the offense. Mm-hmm. But still, bro, you got, you're 0-3, and you literally got beat by, what, 30 points? Uh, what, this last game? No, that was a cool 50. Yeah, my bad, 50. I'm sorry, I can't do math. So, yeah, bro, like, and you and you talked about a guy when you were sitting up being comfy in a, a broadcast booth, and now that you're back coaching, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I have a Broncos takeaway, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, my number two is if the Falcons' run game is shut down, their offense doesn't exist. I don't know anybody who is a believer in Desmond Ritter, and this is not a knock against him. It's not to say that he is terrible, that he should not be in the league. Not saying that. I'm just not confident enough in him as a passer to win them a game, and we literally just saw this past weekend that he has is not capable of it, or at least not yet. Reason being, completed 21 of 38 passes for 201 yards. B.J. on Robinson rushed for 33 yards. Tyler Algier had 12, and um, Desmond Ritter had three. That offense did nothing, again, as the scoreboard would suggest. And I get it. You want to give this dude a shot, see what you get, not spend all that money or draft picks to get a guy like Lamar or trade up. I understand Atlanta's thinking, but we're just seeing time and time again, if they cannot run the ball, they are screwed. They have no shot offensively, or at least not up to this point. I mean, yeah. Uh, like, and it kind of leads to my, my number one takeaway. 
they while the while the getting is good, they should make a move to trade Kyle Pitts. Um, I know that you probably don't want to make that move simply because you could potentially bring in another quarterback and he can end up being their top weapon. But it's like, hey, if y'all aren't properly utilizing him, let him go. Yeah, let him go. And he's an asset that you can potentially get stuff to help build your team. 100%. Like, Like, let him go. Yeah, I saw something earlier today where I guess they somebody asked him about that and they, like, laughed it off. But low-key, it makes a lot of sense. Because not to say Kyle Pitts is, like, a top tight end in the league, but he is talented and he is very athletic. And yet they just do not know how to feature him in this offense. And it is I – I know it's frustrating as a viewer to watch. I can only imagine how frustrating it is for him. Uh, But my number one is last week uh, when we did Believable Refunery – we asked whether or not the Broncos' defense was the problem, and I said it was believable. I think you said it was buffoonery. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I rest my case. If you don't think the Broncos' defense is bad, I don't I don't know what to tell you. Like, 70 points is 70 points. And we've seen some terrible dog crap defenses in the NFL, but they didn't get 70 put on their head. And I know that some people probably think, oh, the Dolphins should have stopped. The Dolphins should have ran out the clock. The Dolphins are doing too much. I'm a firm believer of if you want to stop me from doing something, then stop me. If you don't want me to score, stop me from scoring. And the Broncos just could not do it for one reason or another. So, again, I rest my case. Like, taking away my my huge fandom of Russell Wilson – because I'm sure some of y'all hear this and think I'm being biased, but looking at his numbers, even his numbers from that last game, it's not like he had three picks. It's not like he was fumbling the ball every five seconds. He gave his offense a chance. Their defense just took them out of the game because they could not get a stop to save their life. So, yeah, Broncos defense, it's so crazy to think they went from like a top 10 unit last year to where they are now. Before we go to the next segment, let's look at Russell Wilson's numbers this past game. Russell Wilson was 23 of 38 for 306 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. That's not bad. No, not at all. Like, you can say, oh, he had an interception, but he literally only had one. And, like, I just looked it up. The most points scored in an NFL game is 72 points. And it happened in 1966. The Washington Washington set the record for 72 points in a win versus the New York Giants. So what you literally what you're saying is, is you were two points away from tying the most points scored ever in the history of the NFL. And I think it's pretty safe to say, had the Dolphins got another possession, they were going to score again. They, they couldn't stop him. But, all right, let's move on to some positive things, starting with our most impressive offensive and defensive players. For me, offensively, I'm going to Tonga Bailoa from that same game. Completed 23 of 26 passes, which is an astronomically accurate rate, uh, for 309 yards and four touchdowns. Mind you, I don't even think he played the whole game. Um, for me, I'm going with Keenan Allen. Because I knew you, I knew you were probably going to go too, so I wanted to show somebody else some love. Keenan, Keenan Ball, Allen. too. 
Yeah, he had 18 receptions for 215 yards. Don't forget the passing touchdown. He threw a dime to uh Mike Williams, like a 41-yard yeah, ball. Pass, and one pass touchdown. Like, that's, that's insane. And granted, it's against a bad uh, Vikings defense. But if you get 200 yards, you get 200 yards, in my opinion. Yeah, oh, 100%. But, yeah, I'm not going to knock nobody for what you do. You you can only play the people you're going up against. Um. All right, moving on to my most impressive defensive player, Miles Garrett. I know over here I am a firm believer that T.J. Watt is the best defensive player in the league, but don't get it twisted. Miles Garrett is a bad, bad man, too. Had a great game this past Sunday, best one of the season, five tackles, three and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, five quarterback hits. I mean, he was just Ryan Tannehill's worst nightmare. Uh, this one where we're going to share the same one because even though I hate the fact that we lost to the Browns, I got to show him some love because he just he wrecked the game. Yeah, it was nothing to be done. Uh, speaking of wrecking games, let's talk the most disappointed player. And I hate to do it to your boy, but I got to go Derrick Henry. 11 carries for 20 yards. He only averaged 1.8 yards per carry. That is the lowest rushing yards he's had in a game since 2017. I mean... I was going to go the offensive line, but you can go the whole offense. Yeah. Either or works. And, again, personal feelings aside about the Browns, like their defense has been really, really good these first three weeks. Yeah. But even still, like like you mentioned at the top, 94 yards of offense, that's never going to be no, – even if you're going to be a bad defense, like you're anytime you get 94 yards and that's it, that's never going to fly. But, all right, last thing before we move on, rookie of the week. I'm going C.J. Stroud. We talked about the upset when the Texans got over the Jags. Uh, C.J. had a really, really good game, completed 20 of his 30 passes for 280 yards, two touchdowns. Just he didn't look like a rookie out there. He played a great, great game. Since you went C.J. Stroud, I was going to go to combo with him and Tank Dale. Tank Dale balled I'm, out. I'm, I'm going to go – with a, a guy that you know I'm a fan of. I got to go with Jalen Carter. Jalen had a hell of a game. He was up there. He was definitely a thought. Like, to to have the impact that he had on the game, and he played less than 50% of the Eagles' defensive snaps, like, that's insane. Yeah. Did you see that forced yeah. fumble he got? Yeah, forced fumble had, I forget how many QB pressures he had. I think it was, like, more than three. I think I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like it was crazy. I think what impressed me the most about that forced fumble was it's not like it was behind the line of scrimmage. Like Rashad White had gotten a nice little gain. He was at the second level, and then J- uh, Jalen Carter just had tremendous effort. Came and punched that ball out. Like that was really really impressive. So yeah, he was a very close second for me. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some news leading up to Week Four. Um, not too much really to report. Um, the New Orleans Saints gave defensive end Carl Granderson a four-year, $52 million extension, so props to him. And uh, now let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery. We both kind of talked about the Bears and just how rough things have been going. However, quarterback Justin Fields remains optimistic, which God bless him for it. Um, he 
mentioned in a recent interview that the team just needed one win to get going and referenced the Lions who started last season one and six and almost clinched a playoff berth to do it. He said, all we need is one to get this thing going. The Lions started one and six last year and almost made the playoffs. Just keep the faith, keep going. And the big picture is the third game of the season. We got 14 left at least. So, believable or buffoonery, the Bears are one win away from turning things around. Ain't no way, boy. Yeah. <laughs> like, the Lions last year, they had one of the better, like, underrated rock, overall rosters in the NFL. Y'all don't get this. No. Uh, I'm calling big buffoonery on that, too. And, like, I'm a firm believer, like, it is only week three, like, it's still a lot of time for things to happen. But we're not going to sit here and act like the Bears aren't on a, what, like 13-game losing streak that dated back from last season. So, and mind you, it's still a lot of the same players on the team from last year. So, uh, no, call buffoonery on that. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Unfortunately, there have been quite a few injuries and some not-so-great play within the first couple of weeks of the season. And while you could look to multiple reasons for that, um, P.J. Andonado of SBE Football said, if more ones and twos played in the preseason, we see less injuries and better play. It's been ugly these first few weeks. So is that believable or buffoonery? If starters got to play more in the preseason, there will be less injuries in the early going of the season. I'm going to say buffoonery. Um, I do agree. I think we will see better play to start the season, but I don't think we will see less injuries because you you would get people injured in the preseason, yeah. which would lead to the regular season. So I think it's going to be. It's like you gotta you gotta pick um, pick your poison. Do you want people to get hurt in the preseason? Or do you want people to be rest rest up, kind of have kind of have to work their way through, um, figuring out the playbook during the regular season, but also have the chance of getting hurt? Yeah, I would say buffoonery as well because, like you said, I mean, okay, you don't get hurt week one or week two, you just get hurt in the preseason, like, and that's the saddest thing is just that's why they shorten the preseason in the first place because so many players. Because in a few years ago, starters did actually play more, but then more injuries started to happen, and they decided to just shorten it. So, no, I'm going to call buffoonery on that. Um, We've kind of talked about Devontae Adams a bit, so I'll skip this one, but let's do the last one. And then it refers to the New York Jets. Ethan, earlier when you were talking about the Jets, you mentioned when Robert Sala said that uh, Zach Wilson gives the team the best chance to win, which we watched the clip. You could that man could barely get that sentence out, and it seems like it's only been getting worse in the case of Zach Wilson. For example, Joe Namath, NFL legend, arguably the greatest. No, I lied. Greatest quarterback to ever throw on a Jets uniform said this about Zach: "I don't believe in him. I don't believe he has a future as a good player. And I think they made the right, the wrong choice when they traded for him. I mean, and so adding on to that." Reportedly, tensions are starting to rise in the Jets' locker room because of Robert Sala's belief in um, Zach Wilson, particularly within the defense. Uh, Reportedly, Robert Sala is coming off as a Zach Wilson apologist, and that isn't sitting well in the locker room. The Jets' defense in particular is not happy. Uh, Committee added, 
this defense knows that if any other player were performing his job the way Wilson is performing his, that player would be benched. Trust me, there's tension in that locker room. I get the sense that his team could be ready to implode. Low-key, I think that sticking with Zach Wilson is going to end up costing Robert Sala his job. But let's just talk about the team specifically. Believable or buffoonery, the Jets are doing themselves a disservice continuing to start Zach Wilson. A hundred percent. Um, I mean, if you look at it from like the standpoint of this alone, I'm going to look at it from look at it from two stand from a two sided aspect. So I'm going to start with what we said from the defense. You the Jets have a top at worst, I'll say top twelve defense in the NFL. When you when you um. Pin that with an offense that's led by Zach Wilson that continues to get three and outs. You're wearing you're wearing your defense out, and you're setting yourself up for position to lose games because when your defense needs to get crucial stops because they've done their job up to basically the fourth quarter, and they need to get their crucial stop. They can't get their crucial stop because they're tired. When you look at it from the offensive standpoint, every game so far this season, we see Gary Wilson almost ready to knock Zach Wilson out. Every game we've seen it so far at some point on the sideline. You see Michael Carter getting into it with his running back coach. Like, those are things that happen when one of the frustration is building up on a team. And if that frustration is being built up because of Zach Wilson, then yeah. They're putting themselves in a horrible position. Yeah, I'm also saying believable. Pretty much nothing to add from what you said. But all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for week four. Starting things off Thursday Night Football, we have the Detroit Lions heading to Lambeau to face the Packers. I got Lions. I got Lions. Jacksonville Jaguars and Atlanta Falcons have a date in London, the first of the NFL's international series. Low-key... This is kind of tough. I'm going to give the edge to the Jags just because, again, I don't trust Desmond Ritter. Same. I got Jags. All right. Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Houston Texans. I mean, I'm sorry. Traveling to Houston to face the Texans. I got Steelers. I got Steelers. Indianapolis Colts versus the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, that's tough because I don't know if AR is playing, but I'm going to go Rams. So, update from today is, while he and Ryan Kelly are still in concussion protocol, they both did practice today. Okay. I'm probably still going to go Rams, though. Fair. Uh, Minnesota Vikings versus the Carolina Panthers. Battle of the winless. I got Vikings, and I think Jay Jettas is, if he don't top 200, he getting close. I got Vikings as well. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. Assuming uh, Derek Carr is not good to go, Jameis Winston will get the start, gets to play his former team. That's cute and all. Love me some Jameis. I got Bucks. This is tough. Because they play playing a real defense. That's facts. That's true. But I, I hate to say it because I love Jameis. Jameis is going to throw a pick, at least one. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think that if you give this offense a short field, 
I think they're going to be okay. But it, oh yeah, this might be one of the last uh, Mike Evans versus uh, Marshawn Lattimore matchups we ever get. Yeah, hey, speaking of that, it's hilarious. I was on Twitter earlier today. No, it was Monday. And somebody was like, happy the week Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans fight week. Then we're going to, like, apparently, like, everybody knows that's a thing. That every time they play, it's going to be a fight. Yeah. That was hilarious. Uh, But to go to the game picks, I'm going to go Saints. Okay. Respectable. I think I think this game can go either way, but I'm I, I'm I'm still gonna get a nod to the Bucks. All right, Philadelphia Eagles first divisional game of the season. Uh, they're hosting the Washington Commanders. I definitely got Eagles. Yeah. Miami Dolphins versus the Buffalo Bills. This game should be Sunday Night Football, hands down. And I wrestle with this, but I'm gonna go Dolphins. I didn't wrestle with it at all. I'm going Dolphins too. That's fair. Um, all right, Cincinnati Bengals uh, facing your Tennessee Titans. I got Bengals. Yeah. Also, another funny thing that I saw on Twitter is people are corning the Titans as everybody's, like, get right game. Wow. So, I think Joe Burrow is going to go crazy when I lose. So, I got Bengals. I mean, that wasn't the case for the Chargers. So. That's the one exception. I'll give you that one. But, yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I hope Joe was healthier because you could tell that man was hurt. Um, All right, moving on. Baltimore Ravens versus the Cleveland Browns. I had a dream that the Ravens lost this game 20-13, to 13, and I swear if they lose, I'm going to be so pissed. But So I'm going Baltimore, and I hope that my dream is just trolling me because Baltimore lost last weekend. I'm going to be real. I ain't picking Cleveland to win that now season. I'm going Baltimore. Felt that on a very spiritual level, my brother. Um, Denver Broncos versus the Chicago Bears, battle of the garbage. Um, I'm going my brother-in-law, Russ. I think that he has the best game he's had in two years. I'm going to be honest. I can't see Russ being worse than Justin Fields, so I got to go Broncos. That is another great way to put that. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders versus the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's status is up in the air as he is in concussion protocol. It don't matter. I was still going to go Chargers. But I think Devontae Adams is going to go off. Yeah, I got charges and hope, and maybe this might be the, the game that down here make them make the decision down here trade them. Who knows? Uh, New England Patriots versus the Dallas Cowboys. I think Cowboys bounce back. We didn't really talk about that loss to the Cardinals, but I think they bounce back and get the dub. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco 49ers versus the Arizona Cardinals. The 49ers better win. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think they're going to get back-to-back, like, underdog victories, because being honest, I think the Cowboys are one of the better teams in the NFL. I think the Cardinals lost because it was just such a, like, you know how they, you had those... It's a trap game. Yeah, it's a trap game. You also caught them right after they found out Stephon Diggs was out for the season. So they might have had some, like, emotional like, jump of throughout the week where it's like dog we lost our dog but now I don't see them I don't see them beating the 49ers I see the 49ers probably winning by like at least 20 yeah it should be a blowout um Sunday Night Football Kansas City Chiefs versus the New York Jets I got Chiefs in another blowout first off can we please flex this out it's I too early in the week it's too it's too, it came too early oh my gosh I'm gonna be honest 
this probably I I normally try to at least watch two games every Sunday if I'm able. I try to watch the Titans game and I always try to watch Sunday night football because I'm always free Sunday night. I'm not watching this. That's fair. For two reasons. I don't want to see Zach Wilson and I don't want to hear them talk about Taylor Swift the whole broadcast. Oh, I felt that on a spiritual level. At least they're in New York. So maybe she won't be there. Or maybe it's not even the fact that she won't. She oh no, they're still gonna talk it. about it. They and you she know they're gonna, gonna have at least a couple graphics dedicated to her, and it's gonna be yeah, so I annoying. I don't. I don't. I, I'm straight. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch whatever TV shows I need to catch up on Sunday night because I just don't want to go through this. That's that's absolutely fair. I mean, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm watching that game. Um, I might complain about the whole time, but I'm gonna watch. Um, all right, last but not least, Monday Night Football. Seattle Seahawks heading to MetLife to face the New York Giants. I'm not picking the Giants to win nothing as long as Saquon is out. I got I got Seahawks. I'm in agreement. I ain't picking them to win nothing as long as Saquon's out, too. All right, let's go ahead and talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we're watching, as well as the team that we are calling out week four. You can go first. Offensive player to watch, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Jameis. Uh, he's coming in, facing his former team. I want to see what he do. I want to see his corny is the eating the W thing was, and I hated it. I want to see if he eat a W. It was, that was so funny. It was hilarious. Um, offensively, I'm watching Jerome Ford running back for the Cleveland Browns. He did not have a good game against the Titans, but they won, so nobody's really talking about it. But, I mean, Kevin Stefanski said he's going to be the lead back, and they are going to need him because – and not just as a rusher, but in pass pro because everybody named Mama knows Baltimore is going to blitz. They are going to try to kill Deshaun Watson, and the only way to stop it is to block. And if that brother can't block, it's going to be a problem. Also, of course – that offense is another one that cannot be one-dimensional. They're not good enough for it. Deshaun Watson has proven that he can survive without a run game. So they're going to need him in more ways than one. Defensively, I am going to be watching uh, – I'm going to be watching uh, Harold Landry and Arden Key. I feel like the only way the Titans going to beat the Bengals is if they hit Joe Burrow. A lot. And – and granted, I know that he's injured, but I feel like that's the only way. If they're able to let Joe just stand, even if he's not mobile, but let him stay in the pocket and pick them apart, it's going to be a long game. So I'm watching the two pass rushers. Uh, defensively, I am going to be watching my main man, Jamal Adams. He's set to make his season debut, has not played since week one of the 2022 season. I can't wait to see my boy back out there because like he said in that Sunday Night Football uh, intro, I think it was against the Steelers, when he said he was the best in the nation, show everybody why you are a top safety. I love that man. I can't wait to see him back on the field. Team, I'm calling out. Oh, you forgot your rookie. Ah, uh, rookie, uh, Jalen Carter. I'm not going to lie. He's going to probably be my rookie that I'm watching every week. Totally fair, because he is a lot of fun to watch. Um, Yeah, rookie for me is going to be Dalton Kincaid, a guy who we haven't mentioned a ton. 
But, I mean, he was drafted with the purpose of being essentially their slot, the Bills slot receiver. They needed more weapons on the offensive side of the ball aside from Stephon Diggs. And they're going up against arguably the most loaded offense in the NFL in the Dolphins. So he's going to have to have a big role if the Bills are going to be able to go blow for blow with the Dolphins. Before I give my team the call out, is Jalen Water going to play? Um, He's, as far as I know, he was supposed to be practicing fully today. So, I think he's going to be good to go, but it's still too early. They got another two days of practices. By Friday, everybody should have a good inclination unless uh, Sean McDermott comes out and says he's playing before then. Gotcha. Uh, but, uh, team, I'm calling out. I'm calling y'all out. Like, in my mind, us losing to the Browns, as much as it pained me, it's just, I was expecting it simply because – they had a good defense. Our offense has been lackluster, especially the passing game. But y'all, I need y'all to do the Lord's work. I need y'all to take them boys out. Yeah, that part. Believe me, we are in the same boat, my brother. Um, I'm also calling out Baltimore. Last week's game was rough, but the defense, aside from one touchdown that the Colts got because of a short field, the defense played amazing. I mean, you can only do so much. It's not like they were these field goals were chip shots, which, again, shout-out to Matt Gay. Had a great game. But it's a bit more firepower with Cleveland. Amari Cooper is great. That's all I got. Um, so, basically, yeah, just do your job. Offense, for the love of God, don't turn the ball over because that's the biggest issue. Those two fumbles were costly, led to points. You could not have that. Leave no doubt that you are not only better than the Browns, but the best team in the AFC North at this point of the season. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, which obviously we got to talk the trade. We all figured that at some point Damian Lillard was going to be on the move, and it is officially official. He is headed to Milwaukee. Um, in a three-team trade, the Bucks received Drew, Damian Lillard, while the Blazers received Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Tumani Kamara, the Bucks 2029 first-round pick, and the Bucks 2028 and 2030 pick swaps. And the Phoenix Suns got uh, Yusuf Nurkic, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen. So let's start off from the Bucks standpoint, pairing. Both multiple team, all first NBA selections. I mixed that up. You knew what I meant. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Damian Lillard. How do you like this trade from their standpoint? I think it's great. I mean, Giannis, I think it's great from the standpoint of Giannis putting Milwaukee on the clock and said, hey, look, if we don't get more talent, I'm gone. And what did they do? They responded and got in my opinion, behind Steph Curry, the second best point, one healthy, I'm not going to say the second best point guard. But a top but top five, for sure. A top five point guard, the second best shooter in the NBA. Felt. Um, like, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, nah, I was just going to say, and I think when you pair him and Giannis together, I think about the playoffs in mind because, like, Giannis has had struggles in the playoffs because teams can build their wall up. And, like, Dame's a dude that can bust their, that can bust their wall. Right. Like, he can build the shoot as soon as he crosses half court. You can't build up a wall to stop Giannis when you have a guy that can pull from 
from 30 plus. And Dame is it's Dame time. Like when the game gets clutch, you don't you now don't have to look to Giannis to be and Chris like Chris Middleton is a good creator in clutch moments, but like you don't kind of get hampered because you have a guy that again can shoot from thirty plus feet. So, um, all right. So, adding to a couple questions before we move on to the Blazers' point of view. Being devil's advocate, Giannis pretty much put the Bucks on blast and said, "Hey, I'm not resigning unless I see the team is committed to as committed to winning championship as I am." Do you think that this guarantees that Giannis is going to sign an extension, or could you still see him bouncing once his con- current contract is up in a couple years? Uh, I think it de- it depends because how many years are is left on Dame's contract? Let me look. Damian Lillard has, yeah, this year and next year, and he has the so- next year is a player option. And Dame is how old? Mr. Lillard is 33. Um, Yeah, he's 33. So, with that being said, I can still see Giannis leaving because Dame has two years left on his contract. He'll be, at that point, he'll be 30, 35, maybe going closer to 36, depending on when his birthday is. Like I think his birthday is in July. Okay. Do you really want to potentially sign a long-term deal hinged upon a guy that might be like mid-30s as your second-best player? And like, granted, I think Dame is still great, and I think Dame can still be a guy that could be productive well into his 30s. But it's also like a do you want? Do you think you can still have a championship window with Dame as your second best player past those two years? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that it can't just be Dame. Like right now, everybody's drinking the Kool Aid. It's a lot of fun. It's gonna be a great duo, which is totally fair. But one, we still got to see them play, and two, like you mentioned, Dame is gonna be older. What player is Dame gonna be in two years? Because as Talented as he's been, a big caveat is him being healthy. And health has not exactly been on his side these past couple of years. So I could see Dame, I mean, not Dame, Giannis looking at it and being like, you know what? This was fun, but I still feel like unless the Bucks do something more, he could still decide to leave. So I, I, I don't think it, this, like, solidifies he's not going anywhere like some people might think. All right, and so do you think, I think Vegas has the odds out, but in your personal opinion, do you think that this makes them the favorite in the Eastern Conference? I would say, I would say yes. Um, because I again, like I told you off air, I think if Dame is healthy and he was playing at the level that he was playing in last season before he got hurt, um, I think that that duo is better than Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I think that the books still have, like, yes, they lost Drew Holiday, but if you can have a healthy Chris Middleton who now doesn't have to be the second-best player, he could be the third-best player, I think that's a good, and you pair that still with uh, Brooke Lopez, who 
can still knock down threes and defend the rim pretty well. You have a question around who are you going to start at the two, whether it being Malik Beasley or uh, Pat Connaughton. But, like, those two guys could be serviceable. They still kind of have – they have Bobby Portis coming off the bench. Like, they still have a, a decent – a decently rare rounded team. And I think when you think about the East, you still have a lot of teams at the top with questions. Like, Philly, what – what are you going to do with James Harden? What is that going to look like? And even Miami. if he comes back, what James yeah, Harden are you going to get? Yeah, like what James Harden are you going to get? Miami, you weren't able to get Damian Lillard like you wanted, and you still face, you still going to be presented with the same issues. Actually, more, more potent because now you lost Max Struess and you lost Gabe Vincent. You also have Jimmy Butler being a year older. He's not young, even though he acts and looks like it. Um the uh, the uh, shoot, Celtics, the Celtics. Like I think the Celtics are the only real like contender. Uh, contender, but it's also like they have questions. Like they traded Marcus Smart for Kristaps Porzingis. Is Kristaps going to be stay healthy? We we've seen like in recent years the duo of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum when it gets time to be. In the playoffs, like they aren't able to fully match out their potential, so I would say, I would say for the time being, I would probably still go Celtics, but I would put the Bucks like as a super close second. I would agree with that. All right, now let's go ahead and look at it from the Trailblazers' perspective. In this trade, they got Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tumani Kamara. Um, Bucks 2029 first round pick and a Bucks 28 2028 and 2030 swap pick swap. Let's just focus on the players. How do you like what they got in return? We are, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point, Drew Holiday is not going to end up being on their game one roster. But overall, how do you feel like what they got in return? Oh, uh, I think they got like, I think they got some good stuff in return. Um, you got, I'll start with Drew Holiday. Simply from the stance of like we like you said, we don't think that he's going to be on their um, week one starting roster. But he's a really good piece that you can trade to get assets for draft capital, capital, and maybe another young player to like help enhance that young core. And you also got a young player in DeAndre Ayton who, yes, when he like when he was in Phoenix, he. He ruffled a lot of fellas with his play, but he's still a really capable slash productive starting level center that now you have a a pick and roll mate for Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons when they all are together. Because like when you think about it, if the Blazers are going from the stance of like we're gonna fully rebuild, like they did what they were supposed to do in this trade. Yeah. I like them getting DeAndre Aiden a lot. Like, obviously, I'm not going to sit up here and say, oh, I'm a huge DeAndre Aiden fan because that'd be a lie. But I think that they have kind of been missing, like, that potentially dominating big man. Yusuf Nurkic, Nurkic was there for years, but injuries kind of took him off the court. And it just seemed like they never really could find somebody to really replace him. And so with DeAndre Aiden, I think that this is – I think he need a change of scenery. 
Um, and I think that him going there and getting a fresh start, and it's not going to be like, oh, this is so superstar heavy where you got to feel like you got to contend with a Chris Paul or a Devin Booker or a KD. Now everybody's young. Everybody's trying to figure things out and figure out what their roles are going to be. And so I think that this new opportunity is going to be a blessing for him to kind of just find out his identity and not have all those expectations put on his shoulders. All he has to do is go out there and ball. And so I really, really like that. Yeah, Drew, I think – I talked about it. I wouldn't mind keeping him just to, like, have him be a mentor. But, I mean, I understand he's such a valuable trade asset that it's hard to hold on to him if you don't absolutely have to because, I mean, it's not like he's going to start. And so I really like what the Blazers did. Um, And I'm excited to see what the future holds. I mean, now for the first time since, what, 2011, 2012, Damian Lillard is no longer on the roster. And – I think that it's going to be very interesting to see how Chauncey Billups helps develop this team and leads this new rebuild that they haven't had in so long. Um, all right, one last thing. Let's talk about the Suns, what they got. DeAndre Aiden is gone. They get Yusuf Nurkic, uh, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, Grayson Allen. We talked about they needed a bench, and it looks like they did get some more players to add to that bench mob, but – do you think that they are significantly better than they were because of this trade? Do you, or do you think that, who knows, maybe they will regret trading away DeAndre Ayton? I think they're better from the stance of it's addition from subtraction. Like, don't get me wrong, I think DeAndre Ayton is a better player than Yusuf Nurkic. Yeah. But Yusuf Nurkic is a better fit from the stance of I still think they need to find, like, an athletic rim-protecting big to probably come off the bench. But he's a guy that he can play good positional defense. He's not like a a lot of rim-protector big. But what he can do is he can pass the ball really well. He can set really good screens that could get – Bradley Bill, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant open. He's a guy that can rebound well. And when push comes to shove, if you need him to score the ball around the basket, he's capable. And he's also a little capable of knocking down a jumper. I think what Phoenix really gained in this is the two guys that are mentioned after Yusuf Nike. Like, all the, like, tripping and Duke foolery aside, like, in Milwaukee, Grayson Allen was becoming a, a solid NBA-level player. Yeah. Like, he's a guy that he can defend his position slightly above average, but he's a guy that he can knock down shots. And when you have a team like Phoenix where you have a bunch of guys that are going to get a bunch of attention – that's all you need. Right. Dudes that can knock down shots and dudes that can play positional defense. And I think he does that well. And then with Nazir Little, he's not necessarily a a knockdown shooter. He has capabilities of knocking down threes. But he's a guy that can play good defense. He's young and he's athletic. And you can just potentially bring him on the you could bring him off the bench and he could be like a high energy guy. And so I think like and I'm pretty sure you're going to ask this, but, like, if I were to grade the trade as a whole, I don't think anybody lost this trade. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I wouldn't 
at this very moment, I don't know if I'd say I have like a definitive winner either because on paper it sounds like it should be the Bucks, but we don't know exactly how Dame and Giannis are going to look together. And if this and right now my question is is this like a let's appease Giannis real quick type deal or are y'all hoping to make this into something long term? Because realistically, I would be surprised if this duo was still playing together in two, three years. Yeah, I, I would as well. And, I mean, I think from the book standpoint, it's great because it's like, in my opinion, it's a it's a really high ceiling, really low floor type of move. Right. Like, the ceiling is if Dame and Giannis can click and mesh, you have a championship-level team. Floor is, I can still see them making the NBA Finals but losing. Yeah. And, I mean, considering this is a team that we've seen win a championship without Dame, I think that they already have that championship pedigree, and for all the experience that Dame has, he does not have that. So I'm excited to see how it all shakes out um, once the season comes about. But let's talk about a team that was not a part of this trade, and that's the Miami Heat. I'm – I am willing to bet that Pat Riley and that locker room, or at least the players who were going to be there, like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, were expecting that at some point Damian Lillard was going to be on their team. And now he's not. So what do you feel like, what's next for the Heat? What do you think that they can do? Because you talked about it with Max Stress gone and some of the other players who've less than free agency. They got some holes to fill. It's weird because I think the next thing that they should do is they should hit the Blazers up for Drew Holiday. Yeah. Which, I mean, because you, like, if you look at their roster right now, if I'm not mistaken, unless they want to put Tyler Hero at the point, their starting point guard would be Kyle Lowry. And I ain't going to lie to you, I forgot Kyle Lowry was on the team. Yeah, and, like, I, I rock with Kyle Lowry. Like, I, I liked him when he was in Memphis. I thought he was a, a good, aggressive guard. I liked him in Toronto because I was, like, a closet Toronto fan because I was a big – I'm still a big DeMar fan. But, like, right now, Kyle Lowry isn't a starting-level point guard. Yeah. And I think they should make the move to try to bring in Drew Holiday because he fits the heat culture. Obviously, that's a, that's a given. But he last season I saw I was looking at some of his stats when they announced the trade. Last season he was like basically a forty percent three point shooter, and you pair that with him being able to still be an elite defender that you'll pair on an elite defensive team, and he was able to average I think he was able to average like seventeen or close to seventeen points a game mm-hmm. when he was healthy. Like it's not game. But it's, it's still a step above what you have, and it can still address the need around, like, shot creation. Um, and you'll get another something that you wouldn't get if you were to get damage. You will bring in an, another elite-level defender. I agree with you on the Drew Holiday tip. I also, we talked about this off air, and I actually talked about it last week, too, just with regards to Buddy Heald and his contract situation. I will go after him, too, because – their offense was – if it wasn't Jimmy Butler in the finals, there was nothing happening. 
and it's clear that they need to address it and they haven't yet again i think that's because they were banking on getting dame and so now that he's not coming i think that a guy like buddy hill could really really help boost that offense and give them another uh three-point weapon and somebody who can do so at a consistent level because duncan robinson is fine but he's not somebody who's like dang i need a three we need duncan robinson I think that Buddy Hill fits that mold more so. And then that'll allow Tyler Hero to be able to open up and do some more things because he's not just going to be asked to just shoot threes all the time. So that, that is would be my plan of the attack if I was Miami. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of Lebel or Buffoonery and get up out of here. And we're starting with a Miami Heat legend in Dwayne Wade. Recently, Dwayne Wade uh, did a recent interview with, Club, with Shannon Sharp on the Club Shay Shay podcast. And spoke of the 2008-2009 scene saying, I understand why LeBron won it, but as an individual player, that was my MVP year. Let's look at the numbers, shall we? In 2008-2009, D-Wade averaged a career-high 30.2 points per game, 7.5 assists, 5 boards, 2.2 steals per game, and 1.3 blocks. He also had 20 double-doubles. In that same season, LeBron averaged 28.4 points per game, 7.2 assists, 7.6 rebounds, 1.7 steals, and 1.1 blocks. He had 29 double-doubles and 7 triple-doubles. Now, between those two, not factoring in anybody else in the NBA, believe or buffoonery, Dwayne Wade should have won MVP that year. Yeah. I think I remember that year because that was the year, like, D-Wade was going crazy. I think he played, I remember, I think they played Chicago, and he hit a half-foot buzzer beater, and he jumped on the stanchion and was like, this my, this my house, this my, like, I remember that year, and I was like, D-Wade needs to get MVP, so I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say buffoonery. If it was solely the numbers, I would be all for it, and I would agree. But you know how the NBA is when it comes to MVP voting a big part of that comes down to the records of their teams and the heat went 42 and 37 in games he started compared to the uh the Cavs who went 66 and 15 in games that LeBron started and so looking at it like that individually D Wade had the better year but LeBron clearly had a more a better and bigger effect on his team and so because I, of that I I feel you I also disagree because I also know the NBA moves the needle on when they want to use that to give somebody MVP. And the only reason I'm saying that is because the year that Russ won MVP, they were like a top team in the West. They were like... I think they were the 7th or 8th seed. They were the 8th seed, actually, because I remember they played the Warriors in the first round. So, yeah, like they were an 8th seed in the West, and they gave him MVP. So, (sighs) that's that's my only... That's fair. That's fair. The only reason I would give that, I can understand that is considering this is getting to like the story, quote unquote, element of the NBA. KD leaves, everybody's expecting the the uh, Thunder to play like crap. Not only does Russ lead them to the playoffs, but I think that might have been a year he broke the uh, du- triple-double record too. No, it was. Yeah, so I understand that from a storyline standpoint. And so I get why he won it. But yeah, I again D Wade was going crazy, but I I would I would still give the edge to LeBron on that. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on. You mentioned Chicago in a reference to a game that Dwayne Wade has. Another player that Chicago knows well is Michael Jordan. And he recently did an interview where he said, after our three-peat, the atmosphere on the team just wasn't the same. Um, Because a lot of people believe, or at least in that era, thought that, well, hey, maybe if Jordan didn't retire, the Bulls could have won eight rings. And he said he does not think so. He said, people say if I hadn't played baseball for a year and a half, we were going to win our eighth championship in a row. I don't think so. After the three-peat, the atmosphere on the team wasn't the same. And that, I mean, I think that raises an interesting point on whether it's believable or buffoonery, that winning too much can affect a team's mentality, that they can get a bit complacent and not work as hard. So believable or buffoonery, winning too much affects a team's mentality. Uh, I'm going to say believable. I don't think they – Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say I think they got complacent. What I think is, is that they got, like – People's egos are too inflated. And the reason I'm really not people, one person in particular, Scotty Pippen. Yeah. Like, when you look at the last dance, like, you saw the way that Scotty was acting in, like, in resentment towards Michael and all of those things. And I think that would have been the reason why they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to win is because I think if Michael would have continued to play and never retired, Scotty would have never had the opportunity to show that he could be that guy and like appease that part of his um, ego. Ego, and he would have left Chicago. Yeah, one hundred percent. He was gonna leave at some point because he wanted to have opportunity to be the guy, which I get. Um, I'm gonna say believable as well. I think especially in the pros, like college is one thing because if a team like Alabama is a perfect example, they're a dynasty, but it's not the same players every year. Like consistently sending players to the NFL or to different endeavors. Like, so when these kids come in and play college ball, like playing at Alabama means something because they have such a winning culture and they want to be a part of it. And I think in the pros, you know, not to say that like every team, if they started winning, they would just get complacent. But I think that it just depends on who your coach is. It depends on who your leaders in the locker room are, because if they're lazy, it's going to be a lazy team. Like I think the Lakers are a prime example. No disrespect to Shaq. Shaq is one of the greatest of all time. But he even admitted, after a couple championships, he kind of took it easy. He wasn't trying to practice as much. He wasn't giving it his all as much. And so because of that, just imagine what the Lakers would have done had Kobe Bryant not been there. How big of a turn would it have been if they didn't have, or at least not even just Kobe Bryant, but just that mentality of, no, I'm going to keep working. I want to keep winning. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. And I think if you don't have guys like that in your locker room to keep pushing you, I think that that can have adverse effects, and then it will cause the mentality of the team to kind of change, and then they're not winning as much. But all right, last thing before we get up out of here. In recent weeks, it's been a few former NBA players speaking out about the league and talking about how the game has changed. I think it was Willie Cauley-Stein last week who said he prefers playing in Europe because it's not so much ISO ball and every player feels like they matter. Jabari Parker is the latest player to call out the league um, and said this as to why he chose to leave 
and play for Barcelona instead. He said, I want to be a part of something legitimate. I want to be a part of every game matters. Sadly, the NBA is a business, and there are 10 to 12 teams that are trying to win every game, and the other half try to get a draft pick. Where does that leave good players? You either have to be super good or bad to lose games. It's no excuse to see DeMarcus Cousins, Dwight Howard, or John Wall, guys who are potentially going into the Hall of Fame, seeing those guys not have a job. We are seeing the league getting watered down, unfortunately. And so, in your opinion, believable or buffoonery, the NBA is a watered-down version of what it used to be. kind of somewhat in the middle because I feel like the NBA has always been like only a handful of teams honestly and truly really have a chance to win. Right. I think what I will say I think is watered down is the competitive spirit in the NBA overall. Yeah. Like in the in the past iterations of the NBA, you will see players have pride about playing all 82 games, whether they were hurt, whether they were healthy, whether they were on bad teams, whatever. The best players were going to play regardless and be and try to be as competitive as possible, whether they were whether they didn't have the full amount of talent to actually win or not. In today's NBA, like I mean, we see it. You could be the Clippers who in my opinion, have one of the most talented rosters in the NBA, but, like, their best players don't, like, commit to being competitive and commit to playing every game and commit to trying to win uh, every game. Yeah, I'm – I don't – I think it's watered down, but not in the way that, like, Jabari Parker is mentioning it. Like – Again, there was never a point where, like, every single team in the league was competitive. It, it, that just, that's just not possible. And there's no – that's not possible just for any league. Just because at some point the talented players are going to be on a team and not-so-talented players are going to be on the other team. And usually those talented players are going to win. And so I don't believe that means that the league is watered down just because that's just the nature of sports. Whereas I definitely agree with you with regards to, like, the loss of competitiveness like it seems like players don't take pride in playing as many games but I also would say like the game itself has changed so much like over the past 20 plus years that I've been a fan to even just looking at where where it was five years ago 10 years ago like there's been so many different changes to where like my biggest thing when I think of water down like you can't really play defense no more like Everything is usually a foul. The all the game is catered to offensive players because they want the high scoring affairs. They want those shootouts as opposed to just a lockdown defensive game where teams aren't scoring a hundred plus points every night. And so in that retrospect, I do think it is watered down into where if you're not one of those guys who can put up a whole bunch of points specifically from the three point line it takes away those opportunities. And the three guys that he just mentioned, Boogie, Dwight, and John Wall, none of them are prolific three-point shooters. And though their style of play is kind of getting phased out, which sucks for them, but I just think that's kind of just the evolution of the game and the players that are playing now. So, yeah. 
because I would even add to that, like you, so you spoke about it only from the defensive side. I think about it now that you mentioned that from the offensive side, like you don't really see teams in the NBA run sets. No. You see, you put one dude in one corner, one dude in another corner, one dude on one wing. You have a guy handling the ball up top and a big setting the screen. Like, you occasionally will see, like, floppy action or things like that to kind of initiate an offense, but you don't really see that many. Like, that, I, that's the thing that sets team, teams apart. Like, the Warriors, like, yes, they have Steph, they have Clay, they have Draymond, but they also, in um, a half-court setting, they run half, They know how to run half-court offense. And I think that's also something that, like, is watered down. Like, being completely honest, I'm a fan of a team in the Memphis Grizzlies they aren't really a half. They don't really run half court sets. They run like the same couple of plays in the half court, but they rely on getting fast break points. And like that's a watered down brand. It's an AAU watered down brand of basketball, in my opinion. I would agree with that. But uh, yeah, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please should check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, before we get up out of here, anything you would like to say? Go Tigers, go Grizz. Can we please stop talking about Taylor Swift when it comes down to football? Because I completely agree. The only Kelsey Swift combination I care about is in Philly and DeAndre Swift. Uh, Can we also, uh, NBA Media Day is coming up. I think that's going to be great. And, oh, I meant to tell you this. So, I've been really heavy, like, recently in watching, like, Kobe highlights with EJ. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. For one, EJ loves, like, watching sports highlights with me. But upon me watching those highlights, I'm not going to lie to you. Kobe Bryant is the best basketball player I've ever seen on the face of this earth. Mm. I'm so happy you came over. We've been waiting on you. Like, the stuff that, like, the stuff that he just did on routine like, I've never seen, like, I know people say that about Jordan. I know people say that about LeBron. But, like, just the stuff that I I would see him do. Like, I, the stuff I saw Kobe do, i never seen Jordan or LeBron do at all. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, welcome. Happy to have you. I have been banging this drum for as long as I can remember. And um, hopefully more people will see what we see. Because I can't speak to what I didn't experience. I did not experience Magic. I did not experience MJ. I didn't experience Larry Bird, uh, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell. I didn't experience them. I experienced Kobe. And of the basketball players I've watched, Kobe is the best. And this is no disrespect to anybody else who you think is the GOAT. No disrespect to LeBron. LeBron is amazing. I'm not a hater to say that he is not. But if I'm talking the best player I've ever seen, it's Kobe being Bryant. Uh, so with that, 
Uh, all I got to really say is um, go Baltimore. You know what it is. Beat, oh. beat the Predator. And um, go Tigers go. Lost a close one to Mizzou, but it was a hell of a game. Go ahead and beat Boise State. I don't know if that game's at home or in Boise, but if you get to play on the blue field, that's dope. And um, continue to support the export. We greatly appreciate it, as well as my work with the Colts. That is also very much so appreciated. Got some cool stuff I've been working on. And if you end up being at the game, pick up a copy of Scout because my story's going to be there. Thanks. Um, but, yeah, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.